Welcome back to Into the Fright. Now, as you may notice in the feed that's showing up on your phone right now or wherever, wherever however you're listening to this episode, the episode looks shorter. That's on purpose. This is a legit episode. It's not like one of those little trailer pieces I make every now and then to introduce a new season or anything like that. No, this is an actual episode. It's a bonus episode to ease you into a new format of episodes I have for the podcast lined up that I've been recording, that I've been working on, writing, and studying for. Um, In these episodes, I'm doing some more deep dives on certain topics in the Bible, subjects, and even in an entire book of the Bible, Galatians, which is coming out, got two episodes recorded, working on the third. Uh, that'll come out soon. But in this episode, I wanted to read one of my blogs. Now, not read as in like, I grew up going to a barber shop. This barber shop had such an amazing vibe. Not that type of reading. No, me actually reading how I how I wrote the post. Uh, if you don't know, Into the Fray has a website, intothefray.com, and there's a blog on there where I write not as much as I would like, but I do write a good bit. And uh, today's episode is going to be one of those writings just recorded, which I love. Uh, it's called The Second Coming. And it is about, obviously, the second coming of Jesus. And it actually takes a different perspective on it than you may be used to. Um, I am not someone who really believes in the rapture. I don't really take hold of the premillennial view of the end times or rapture theology, all this stuff. There's many reasons for that. Maybe I'll get to it in some other episode later on. Uh, if that freaks you out and you're like, oh my gosh, Austin's a heretic, that's not the case. There's actually many different views on the end times. It's just that one is very popular in this time period in the West. Um, and man, there's a whole conversation on that. But uh, I hold to a, a bit of a different view than most people in the end times. Um, and it, I, I, I think it's a more historical view that lines up with the church where the church landed historically um but with saying that it's better for me to explain it than for me to just go on and rant about it so anyways this post is about the end times it's about um what i really love it's very practical in this episode and i really hope it changes or at least challenges your understanding of waiting on the second coming of jesus so without further ado Please enjoy the episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, share this with a friend, share it to your stories. We see it every time you do. Thank you, and welcome to Into the Fray. I grew up going to a barber shop. This barbershop had such an amazing vibe. The owner had a muscle car parked right outside the shop. You walk in and it smelled like shaving cream. He even was one of those old school barbers who had hot shaving cream that he would use as he took a razor knife and slid it across the back of your neck, lining everything up perfectly. Every guy in town used this barber. Every little boy in town sat in this chair and watched Looney Tunes as he cut your hair. But this barbershop made me question my faith. 
and ask, do I really want to be a part of what I believe to be this hateful religion? Day in and day out, I would think through the words this barber said. He was a nice guy. I ran into him recently, actually, but the problem as a 13-year-old that I came across was that this barber loved to talk about the end times. As a kid, I routinely heard him talk about how terrible this world is, how he cannot wait for Jesus to come back. People would learn their lesson when Jesus came back. Talk like this was not uncommon. We live in an evangelical world where rapture theology is wildly known. The history of it is a mystery to many, but the concept is everywhere. Our culture is weirdly obsessed with the end of the world. Shows like The Walking Dead and movies like Knowing Sorry Nicholas Cage come to mind. It begs the question for me, why are we so obsessed with the end of the world, the end times? Cell phones are interesting. Netflix stats on how many hours people spend a day watching their content is interesting. The idea of the metaverse is, again, interesting. Because they're all escapes. Escapes from this world that we are in that can take us out to a world created by us for us. The problem is... It's for the worst parts of us. As humans, we long to escape. As a son of an addict, I've experienced this firsthand at the last relapse my dad went through. 23 years old and scared for my life, burdened by trauma, I longed to escape the pain I was feeling. I just wanted so desperately to be in this utopian society where I would be set free. This is not a completely wrong feeling to have. See, we live in a world that's broken. Things are not how they ought. And our deepest parts of us realize this and crave the world we should be in. But sometimes the way we treat the present is because of how we view the future. And this can have grave consequences. The church of Thessalonica had this issue of disengaging the world they actually lived in. It's not new for people to live their lives expecting, truly believing, Jesus will come back in their lifetime. Every generation has thought that. Early Christians in the Roman Empire all readily expected Jesus' second coming to happen soon. So soon that they would be alive to see it. Because of this belief they had, the church of Thessalonica were quitting their jobs. They saw no point in going to work, fulfilling their vocational roles if Jesus were to be coming back so soon. Why work if we if we would just get to escape this world sooner rather than later? So this is why Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians. This is why 1 Thessalonians' main theme is the second coming. But what is the second coming? In the first century, Thessalonica would have experienced what is called a perugia, a couple of times at least. The word perugia is a word Paul uses to convey the idea of the second coming in 1 Thessalonians. But this word has more meaning to it than our modern ears realize. A perugia is a word referring to the second coming of an emperor. What would happen is an earthquake would occur and damage the city, right? This city would need help to rebuild, so the emperor would come to visit the city and see the damage, kind of like how our president will go to disaster zones after hurricanes and see the damage that has been done. The emperor would do the same thing. They would go visit the place the earthquake occurred and assess the damage. After making his assessment, he would then give the people of the city a grant to fix their city. 
The goal with this grant was always to make the city better than it was before. The goal was to be a good steward of the deposit given to you. A perugia was a term referring to when the emperor would come back to visit the city, also known as the Second Coming. Here's how the Second Coming would go down. 1. The emperor would arrive to the sound of a trumpet. This is because a watchman of sorts would be on the lookout for the emperor and his posse. From miles away, the watchman would see the royal guests and make it known to the city to be ready. You didn't want to be caught off guard to the emperor coming to your city. He's royalty, reverence, and praise are expected. You don't want to get in his bad graces. Thus, the trumpet would sound, kicking everyone into gear for the arrival of the royal. 2. As the emperor would come in, he would pass the necropolis. The necropolis was a term referred to as the city of the dead, or, in our terms, a giant cemetery placed in front of the city as a way to pay respects to the people who made the lives of the people who lived in the city possible. The emperor would pass through the necropolis, pass through the cemetery, paying respects to the dead. 3. Then the time would come for the unique meeting that the people of the city would have with the royal. Now, there's a Greek word for this, but I'm not the best at pronouncing it. So, essentially, this word in Greek used to refer to this meeting literally meant to go out to meet. This meeting is special. It's unique. It's not just any other meeting. So, the people would go out to meet with the emperor with joy. They would take the Caesar by the hand, not literally, and show him all the great work they were able to accomplish with the deposit he made to them. They would go around and say, hey, look at this monument we made in honor of you. Look at this fountain we made in your name. The goal was with the deposit made to rebuild and restore the city to be better than it was before the disaster, and to do all this in the name of the one who made the deposit. Paul uses this language to refer to the second coming of Jesus. The church of Thessalonica was quitting their jobs. They're sitting on their butts, not participating in the building of the kingdom that is here and now. Because of their belief that, oh, well, Jesus is coming back, so why does it matter what I do at my job now? The work is pointless. Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians to call this church who had that belief, this group of believers, back to their everyday jobs as a way to build the kingdom here and now. As believers, we have been entrusted with the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the mission we have been set on since Genesis and again at the Great Commission of Matthew is to go out and restore the city that was broken. We are to go out and be good stewards of the Spirit that lives inside of us. We are to go and restore what's around us to be better than it was before. You may ask, what was wrong with the world before the disaster, the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3? The Garden of Eden was not broken before the fall, but the work was also in the same breath not done. This is why God in Genesis 1-2 tells, tells the Adam, mankind, to go out and multiply, be good stewards, and build. Build community, gardens, cities, families. Because of the fall, though, this disaster, our world has been left a wreck. But Jesus has entrusted us with a deposit, the Holy Spirit so that we may go out into the world and restore not just souls, but all of creation back to what it was intended to be since the beginning. The work you do each and every day matters. The world is not going to hell in a handbasket. And if it does, it's because of our lack of efforts to bring in the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus prayed in his famous prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
What are you doing today? Are you being a good steward of the deposit that was entrusted to you? What would Jesus say when he comes back?